Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome Miss... (laughs) (laughs) So I'm Dr. Melissa Milanic, a licensed (laughs) clinical psychologist here in Charleston, South Carolina. So excited to be on the Unimpressed podcast today here with John. Yes, I'm unimpressed because I've said her name five times and... We start rolling, and I can't say your name. Melissa Melanic. I met Melissa at the Harbor Club here in Charleston, South Carolina. And we started talking, and I'm in entertainment. She's a doctor. She's a clinical psychologist, right? And sometimes I deal with certain personalities, so I thought we would have a conversation. And we had a conversation. Here you are. I wanted to bring you on and talk about mental health today. And, you know, I think it's a good time to talk about mental health in this day and time with everything that's going on in the country. And welcome, Melissa. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And I do, I obviously have made a career out of it, so I think it's always a great time to talk about it. But I think especially with what's happened in the last year between the pandemic, social unrest, just everything that's really shining a light on the importance of well-being and mental health, that it's a great time to finally have people start listening and really seeing the impacts and why it is such an important thing. Are, are people listening enough? That's a really challenging question to answer. I think mm-hmm. that there are some people that were listening or recognizing even before everything that's happened. I think that now there's a split. There are some people that are really recognizing that they can't just brush it under the rug and that they need to pay attention to it. But there are also some people that are still very much trying to ignore that it's such a key component. And you say key component. What, what is it a key component of? So I think when we talk about mental and behavioral health, if we really look at overall general well-being, think of it in the fact of we don't exist in a vacuum. So for instance, you go to work. Well, you don't leave the rest of your life at the door. And in the last year, year and a half with remote working, hybrid working, you're not even leaving the door, leaving the home that you live in for many people to exist. So the stressors that are going on around us, our emotional well-being, our levels of stress, anxiety, mood, those pieces, our physical well-being, how active are we that we know contributes? One of the biggest things research shows us, just reading Sanjay Gupta's book, him talking about that being physically active even five days a week is one of the biggest things that can prevent dementia and cognitive decline. But we're sitting in front of a desk all day and we're isolating ourselves. We know that social interaction professionally and personally is one of the biggest protective factors from anybody developing anxiety disorders, depression, and mood. And so now if we're by ourselves and we're socially isolating, there's those impacts. So when you're looking at socially, physically, emotionally, that all impacts your ability to function, your productivity, your attention and focus and concentration and quality of life which also really impacts your ability to work and your productivity as well as burnout and turnover. Well, let's, let's slow that down a little bit. <laughs> okay. Let's slow that down. Sure. So let's talk about anxiety. You know, I talked to a lot of young people, early twenties. I work with young people. I have young people here and my biggest thing is focus. I think there's a dilution of focus, right? In society in general. So now with a little bit of dilution of focus in society in general, we're going to put a pandemic on top 
of the dilution of focus mm-hmm. and anxiety? Is that a double whammy? Does that create a, a stronger effect on people? What is that? What's the impact on someone's life and mental health? So you're saying what impact does the pandemic have for people that yeah, are like already anxious to yeah, start like, out with? You know, we have a society that's somewhat of a dilution of focus. I say dilution of focus, right? I'll be nice. Dilution of focus, right? And these pieces in our environment and the way we learn things through technology, which I, you know, I capitalize my business off technology, right? Mm -hmm. By default, human beings are being affected by certain things. So what I'm saying is if we have this, somebody's driving down this road and we have this, I guess, what do you call it? New genre, new generation of people. And then we have this pandemic coming down that same road. How much more of effect does that have on someone that's already over here with anxiety, mm-hmm. with no focus, right? What is that like a double down? Is it like times three? You know what I mean? Is gotcha. like, because they're not solid here. They're already unbalanced. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to throw this double whammy on top of you. What does that look like in your, in your world? Sure. No, it's a great question. I think, We see effects of it in a number of different ways. To talk about the people that were already in this state of stress and anxiety, we are a culture that focuses on, that functions in stress anyway. And it has become this natural state that if you are going to be productive, if you are going to just live that everyone is stressed, you have a conversation with anybody pre-pandemic, how are you? Oh, I'm tired. I'm stressed. And that has just become the norm. And for many people, that became this indication of, oh, is your time worth, is it valuable, are you doing great work? Because, oh, I'm stressed because I have so much responsibility. And people started gauging almost worth in some of those points of how busy am I? How much can I accomplish? What am I achieving? And that drove a lot of anxiety already because there were so many more of these pressures. We already were no longer taking breaks. I'm going to work through my lunch break and I'm going to eat in front of my computer and all these other aspects. So anxiety was already very high for many people, but it wasn't something that was recognized. So I talk about it from an example of when you would walk into the smoky bar and you might get hit with a wave of smoke, but then after a few minutes you acclimate it and you don't even acclimate to it and you don't even realize it's there anymore. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people, they were existing in this state of anxiety and stress and didn't even realize they were there. So the pandemic that added more stress, that added more fear, there's, I know we talk about research and statistics and all kinds of things on that, that showed that over 80% of the population when surveyed was now reporting high levels of anxiety and stress. But from research that Invista, one of the organizations I work with, looked at is that so many people will still say that they're very resilient, that bounce back ability is there, But when you dig deeper, people aren't coping well with it. Mm -hmm. So if you think of stress, we talk about the demands exceeding the resources. So these people that already had this delusion of focus that were already exhibiting and experiencing extreme anxiety, maybe didn't realize they were having it, but now you add something on and that's when the stress fracture happens. That's when you can bend, 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 and then it breaks. Because I see it in everybody, Mm -hmm. every young person, I see this. Right. And your narrative, your, your narrative is probably one of the only narratives that somewhat slows my thought process down because mm-hmm. I'm not I tell myself, you know, to create balance. Right. Mm-hmm. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We got to get balanced. You know what I mean? And, and you, from where you come from, you have a different strategy, which I believe in, but don't believe in because it's like we're giving into these pieces of the puzzle to cater to a situation. Why do we have to cater to this situation? What do you mean by catering? Because I'm not sure everybody will know what we're referring to. Well, when I say cater the situation, well, I'm saying when I speak to somebody, I'm like, I'm not giving in to society, right? I'm going to do what's right or what's and and go on. I'm going to go on what's right or wrong, Mm -hmm. point blank. And I'm going to level things up, balance, I'm going to make things balanced immediately, Mm -hmm. right? And I think society has a way of putting band aids. Own things and then they never really fix it, mm-hmm. right? So explain to me why your thought process and what you do is the right thing to do when we're trying to balance life again. Gotcha. So if I understand the question correctly, and keep me honest, if we go in a couple of different tangents, but I think that we have different individuals that have all different backgrounds and experiences. We don't know what anyone else has been through. We talk about people, the iceberg example where you see what's on the surface, but there's so much else that's underneath. And the thing is that many times our brains go to very all or nothing, very black or white thinking, and we miss so much of the gray. What I mean by that is that, yes, there. let me me take mental health out of it for a second, and let me talk about it in a food analogy that I think will make sense to folks. You have some people that are truly allergic to food. They go into a restaurant and they ask for something and say, I have an allergy. I'm going to go into anaphylaxis. And they want the restaurant to respond to that because they don't want to die. Mm-hmm. You have someone else that just doesn't like tomatoes, but they might say that they have an allergy because they don't want it on their salad, but that has diluted things over time. Mm-hmm. And what has happened many times is that there truly are some people that are experiencing mental health and behavioral health concerns, somebody that truly has an anxiety disorder, that has depression, that has experienced a traumatic life event and has PTSD. And because we can't see that on the surface, there are some people that say, oh, I'm stressed. And because they say they're stressed, they think that that's the same thing. Like not liking tomatoes is the same thing as being deathly allergic to them. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're all very stressed and we need to take care of ourselves. We need to use self-care. We need to be sleeping better. I can talk about all those strategies, which are very, very important to keep us from going from that level to something that's actually clinically diagnosable. But you also have people that truly are experiencing something that rises to that threshold 
that it really does impair their ability to, for memory, focus, concentration, even just having a quality of life and enjoying the things that they experience. Mm -hmm. And for some people that can become so paralyzing that it stops them from being able to be the person they want to be or that they need to be to really succeed at life. But we can't put a cast on the brain. I know we talked about this earlier. So if someone has broken their leg, you can see the cast on their leg and recognize that it's going to take them longer to walk down the jet bridge to get on the plane. The person that has extreme anxiety and is so afraid of flying, you don't see the cast on their brain and how hard it is for them to walk down the jet bridge for a different reason. Mm-hmm. And many times society has put a lot of value on just pick yourself up and just, and yes, there are some people that just need to be motivated and need to not be lazy, but there are also a lot of people that truly are mentally exhausted and just burned out as well. So but I why, think it's, why, why, why do we play defense? Why do we play defense? I think we play defense. You know. Can you say more? What do you mean? You know, if you're on offense, right, mm-hmm. you're trying to get ahead of the game, mm-hmm. right? So if, using the broken leg analogy, right, all right, if this guy broke, broke his leg, I'm going to show you what this leg down here, I'm going to show this guy exactly what his leg needs to look like and be like. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. This is how this is supposed to respond. Right? Okay. And we're going to paint that picture. Mm-hmm. And we're going to stay ahead of that. Right? Why can't, why do we wait till after the fact, Right? Instead of being on offense and be pre- and be preventative of some of these situations, then we're always, you know, it seems like to me our system is always on the tail end of fixing these holes, right? <laughs> Why can't we be on the offensive? Why can't we stay ahead of the game and start creating preventative measures to slow some of this dilution and anxiety problem we have in America? So that's a really big question, and I'll answer it in a couple of different ways. So <laughs> from your people in psychology, psychiatry, and the mental health world, there's actually a whole group of individuals that actually specifically do work on prevention and those pieces. And that's where so much of research and clinical work and delves into. But to look at it from a few pieces. One, you have to have system support and funding and the background to justify those pieces, which a lot of people are advocating for. And I could walk you through many things that we can do right now that we know will work to prevent a lot of these things. But part of it is, one, many people didn't want to believe that these were real problems. Mm-hmm. Many people that are experiencing them, there's such a stigma that has existed in society that people don't want to come forward and say that there is a problem when it's small and that molehill builds to that mountain and it continues to build and to compound. And that person that has, say you have somebody that's gone through a traumatic event, for instance, and you have multiple people that have gone through something. I've worked with with specific countries, gone into Northern Ireland and talked with individuals that suffered through the troubles and working in South Africa with people post-apartheid. And when you see whole cultures that have gone through things, some people respond and bounce back and some people get stuck. And the people that are stuck and haven't just immediately bounced back, sometimes society can look at those groups of people as lazy or weak or there's something wrong with them. 
Why can everybody walk outside here in Charleston and some people can't breathe during pollen season and some people aren't affected by it? Everybody responds differently, but because we've always put a stigma on the people that responded differently, either they weren't willing to come forward, we couldn't figure out what to do about it. Why do you think those stigmas were created? Because people are afraid of things that are different. And also a lot of people, if they hadn't experienced it, couldn't fully understand and relate to it. And it's like, well, I'm fine and I pulled myself up. Why can't you? And so there becomes a lot of this confusion and people don't always understand it. Plus, people don't always want to admit if they are experiencing something because to them, they feel like it means that they're weak or they're lazy. I would advocate that it takes more strength to ask for help Mm -hmm. than to just wallow in the corner and to be to isolate yourself and to not have the quality of life that you can have. Let's talk about the system. And if we want to be on offense, <laughs> right? And we have these groups. To me, the system don't focus on that. They don't focus on these groups because they don't want to. They're they're okay giving band aids out to everybody, right? So they can keep a job. In my opinion, is that is that <laughs> is that. Uh, I mean, that's a strong question in your position. I don't want to put you in a uh, in a weird position, but it's like, you know, if you really want to make a change, if we got this group, you said they got this group over here that's on the offense mm-hmm. and trying to really be preventative of some of these things, because that's, to me, that's the only way ever, anything's going to ever change. Why are we still old school? So let me ask you a question. We know that obesity is a problem that we have in the U.S., Why do we still serve fast foods and all the foods that people can eat that can continue to contribute to them gaining too much weight and eating in unhealthy ways? Capitalism. Just because we may have the answers and we may know ways to do things. One, because of the freedoms that we are so lucky to be able to have, Mm -hmm. people have freedom of choice of whether they want to do things or not, whether they want to engage in certain things or not. I tell every single one of my patients that my job is to make myself obsolete. My job is to help them to be able to, and whether it's patients that I've worked with or when I do my coaching work as well, is that my job in my mind, and I know this is shared by many professionals in my same industry, is that we don't want patients or coach or people that we're mentoring to have to rely on us for the rest of our lives. Our goals are to give people the skills so that they can be solution focused and problem solving focused and to be able to overcome whatever the certain circumstances are in their life, whether it's anxiety or other pieces, but to recognize that there are some areas within mental and behavioral health that some people can work through. And there are others where You can see recovery, but you may have certain things that are going to be chronic and persist with you for your entire life. Everybody has a different perspective, me personally, and I am not representing the... But you know, you you say perspective, right? Let's let's stop right there. Let's talk about, I think perspectives come from, are environmental, right? I really do. I think it's perspectives are environmental because I believe that we all are born. We all have the same sensitivities. Right now, there is a percentage, you know, let's say if you have there's 10 kids born today. Right. Each kid has a percentage makeup of certain things. Right. Each kid is going to be different based on our genetic predispositions and the way that we're made up. And we also have the environment that we're existing in. But but when you're born, there's no environment. I did this thing. If you're born in a desert, you grow up in a desert. You only know that desert. That's Mm -hmm. all right. 
Because uh, I say information drives society, right? So understanding these things, and and I can, I want to after I get through this analogy or whatever, I can correlate the food system to some, you know, the food system's the same way. So we're back to the kids. All right, each kid has a different makeup. Right, each kid has similar sensitivities. They're kind of on the same scale. So you start driving down this road, come up to this first intersection, you get hit by a car. Next time you come down that road, you're not you're going to approach that intersection a little different. So that creates, to me, that creates the percentages of life. I say life is made up of sensitivities and percentages, right? So what I'm hearing right? you say is that every experience that you go through in your life is going to shape how you continue to interact with the world and how you see the world. Correct. We talk it, about that all of our past experiences shape the way that we so interpret, perceive any type of ambiguous situation or even the same. If you have a friend that treated you poorly, you're going to maybe be skeptical of the next friend. So if why can't we put that in our narrative and try to explain that to people? Because I see it with stereotypes. Who's saying we're not putting that in the narrative? I don't, I don't hear it. I don't hear that narrative. I don't hear that because I hear, you know. It depends on whose I, voice you're listening to. Well, the, well. And you have to actually believe psychologists and hear what they have to say as well. Yeah. You know, because I say the stereotypes with Northerners and Southerners. And that was a big learning experience for me. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the South, but I was the hillbilly in New York City. Mm-hmm. Right. But I realized that people really, you know, all in all are the same. Right. So. Where are we where are we putting that big narrative out there to kind of let people see instead of letting people land on these stereotypes and let people really give them a because I don't think people really have that that vision about you know they stay within that stereotype lane and that's where they stay with their thought process right so where do we how can we get that bigger narrative and explain this to people and maybe their approach to how they handle things in their environment. Could be a little different. So I think there are many ways that you can do that. One is just doing things like having this conversation where people get to hear other perspectives, where people can start to understand. And that that's to your point. You have some people that they are born in a certain area and they never really leave that area. And that's all they've seen of the world. And that's what they know. And what's interesting, and it reminds me actually some theories we talk about in psychology is that not only is it the way that they see other people, but it's also the way they see themselves. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you know the analogy or the, the story of they, the baby elephants and they put a chain on their leg. And so when they're little, the elephant learns that it can't break the chain. So by the time the elephant grows up, it never tries to break the chain, even though it could and never tries to free itself. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the way that we see the outside world. But also for many people, it's what we've grown up with from childhood and how what they've been told. And what we've been told is who we are and what we can accomplish and who we can be and what our whether it's what our self-worth is, whether it's what our perspective is. And so that's where the impact of the environment can come in as well. You know, thinking of people we've talked about that have had some of these struggles before mm-hmm. is if you spend your entire life growing up believing you can't break that chain – it takes some undoing. You know, if you take mm-hmm. the, the athlete and maybe somebody went out and they grew up playing golf and they loved it and then they're in their late 20s and now they're meeting with a golf coach and says, oh, you need to change up your swing. It's not, it's not the way it should be. 
that's a lot of muscle memory to unlearn because you've been doing the same thing for so long. Mm -hmm. So for some people, we get stuck because it's all we've known of Mm -hmm. how to see other people. For other people, it's all we've known on how to see ourselves. And so sometimes you have to do a lot of that educating and unwiring on the messages that we're looking at ourselves and the value we're putting on ourselves as well as other people. And it is, it's having these conversations. It's giving the opportunity to educate people that there are other perspectives, that there is the whole person and recognizing how much of an impact that can have. I experienced this, Mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in the South, small town, one stoplight, you know, and my grandparents were in New Jersey, right? 20 miles outside the city. And I, you know, I was the red, little redneck kid. My grandfather said, I talk funny, right? First mm-hmm. time I ever went to New York City, I took a baseball bat with me, right? Of course you did. Yeah. Um, you, you know what I'm you, saying? Of course you did. <laughs> so, you know, that's being naive. So that's being naive. And then, then I was in L.A. and then I went to New York and I gave people the benefit of the doubt. And really in this life, you can't believe any, you can't judge a book by its cover at all. To, in my opinion, in this day and time, I was so driven down certain roads with certain personalities because I gave them the benefit of the doubt, and then they ended up being something they weren't. Mm-hmm. So that was a big learning experience for me. That's where I realized that people are the same, you know, pretty much anywhere you go. Talk, going back to being but on learning the, to untrust also then means that it's harder for you to trust anybody because then you start to apply that filter as well. Yes, you're exactly right. You're exactly right, but. If if we know this information, right? I don't think a lot of people know this information. And instead of being still staying on this defense mode, right, with with whatever it is, whether it's you know a prescription, whether it's a medicine, whatever it is, right? You know, we're catching, we're like a catchfall. You know, we can put out that prescription and those things to try to patch everything that's going on. Why can't we put out that big narrative? is try to educate people the right way. I think that's incredibly important. And I know that that's what a lot of organizations are trying to do. Take NAMI, for instance. So National Alliance for Mental Illness, where they not only have support groups for family members and to better understand what somebody is going through, they put out the statistics and the flyers and the programs. There are so many organizations, you know, look at APA, American Psychological Association. There are so many organizations that are wanting to have that voice and that are saying, okay, like for instance, I... I always talk about this within my, when I'm working with organizations and businesses, you could have the best mental and behavioral health support system set up and have your employee assistance programs and have benefits and programs. Eight out of 10 employees will never seek help out of fear and shame because there's so much of that. So I can spout stats all day that one in five people will suffer each year and eight out of 10 throughout the course of their life and all these other aspects. But you're exactly right. That's what we want to do is get more of the word out for the people that don't understand it. And that are saying, okay, I'm just going to be harsh with you and just, you know, make it happen and just, you know, be stronger and move forward. Just like we had talked about from the anxiety standpoint, there are things that are happening in the background, especially somebody that's been through something that would qualify as a, we'll call it a potentially traumatic event that could lead to PTSD. Mm. There are a lot of people that have experienced things that on the surface, we're really good at putting that front on. I mean, think of it this way. The animal that's injured, that has its back in a corner, that's showing its teeth, trying to act like it's really mad and angry so everyone will leave it alone when it's really injured and sick and hurt on the inside and it's just trying to isolate. 
we have so many people that are injured and sad and life has happened to them on the inside and they're either isolating and pushing everybody away or they're trying to protect themselves. It's like the bully that doesn't want to get picked on, so they pick on everyone else first. So there's a lot of that internally. What if you pick on everybody? I pick on everybody. (laughs) It is a good thing that today's podcast is not about diagnosing John. How would you diagnose me? Oh, I am not going to address that one with a 10-foot pole. I am not wearing my professional clinical hat right now. Why? (laughs) Why not? Diagnose me. No. What am I? I think what... what, (laughs) (laughs) I think that you're a person that cares to get a really important message out. And I think that that type of impact and that voice, using it for the right reasons, is Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things that will actually show change for this is that the people that normally wouldn't engage in these conversations, for them to actually hear it. They may not hear it from something mainstream or, oh, there's another doctor talking about it, but it's people like you that have the ear of so many people and that will talk about it in a real way. And I love the fact that you're willing to express the skepticism that you have because then that offers the opportunity to have a real conversation. That's what I'd say to people all the time is just have the conversation see different perspectives, learn more about it. It's exactly what you're saying is we we have to start somewhere and it's just bringing awareness and having the conversation. You can be downstream and keep pulling the person out of the, the river once they fell through the broken bridge, or you can go and fix the plank so no one else falls in. Mm-hmm. But you have to recognize the people that already fell in before you can realize that there's even the problem that the plank needs to be fixed. And so I think what the pandemic did is it really started to shine a light for people to recognize we can't afford to not focus on this anymore. We can't keep ignoring it or saying that people are just weak or lazy or don't care. There really is something going on now. What's causing it and why is it going on? Yes. There's lots to focus on and address, but we can't just ignore it when it's happening or we're going to lose a lot of people, a lot of quality of life, and for businesses, a lot of productivity and bottom line. So it affects people in all different ways. Well, with the information world changing and artificial intelligence mm-hmm. coming down the road, uh, you think government's getting a little scared that they're losing control? You think that the people are getting smarter? You know what I'm saying? When I say not losing control, but... You know, I think government sometimes they're slow with their processes, and I think they're trying some of their processes they're trying to catch up, right? Because they they you know it takes so long to move a process, mm-hmm. right? So if you have a process right here that's been in place for fifteen years, and it's very very dated process, and this is a process that people are looking at, and these people around this process are starting to get more educated themselves and start to see that this process is not working anymore. Mm-hmm. Is that making some of these processes or these entities nervous? And they, are they really trying to figure out a way to catch up or you think they become obsolete? I'd want to clarify which processes you're talking about. I just but- said the word process just to kind of like condense it. You know, if it's process, whether it's pro- a program, you know, let's say a program that's been set up sure. in the school system for 15 years. Right. It's dated. So you I know, think- and, and, and we have this information, like mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know, young adult, you know, doctor, great narrative. You know, there is more information. There's more information seeping in to mm-hmm. say this program, right? Sure. And these people who are controlling this program, 
I think, do, so do things sometimes to deflect the information? With any system, process, intervention, whatever word you want to use, we are, as scientists, researchers, academics, clinicians, lump that all together, constantly learning new things every single day. That's the whole point of the field is to recognize that as soon as something comes out, then it almost well, becomes that's I, that's obsolete to, to in to some that ways. Point. Yeah. To so, that, move, well, why can't we? Can't why can't you get these people to move faster? Is what I'm asking. Get them to move faster. What are we waiting on? If I could, I would. I think that. Well, there's a couple things. Yeah. Part of it is, and just I'll talk to it from a high level standpoint, is that it depends on where the information's coming from. How trusted is that information and who are the final people to decide for change to happen? Because there are constantly so many new bits of information that are coming out that it's almost the ongoing. We'll we'll talk about this from an education standpoint. So I was teaching a course for many years at a university and it felt like almost every single year a new edition of the book was coming out. And I constantly had to buy a new edition of the book because there was new research. There were new statistics. There were new things that were happening. So I think that there's a balance that sometimes they're trying to be put into place where say that you have a regulating body that has 20 processes to check. Is it going to be an iterative process where we do these on year A and these on year B and these on year C? Do we need to hire more people to constantly be keeping up with those pieces? I think there are a lot of those systems in place where it's to your point, there's also so much sometimes on one hand information overload. So then it's how do we pick through the noise and figure out what's actually practical and what should be applied And so I think that sometimes we err on the side, I'm just saying in general, of making sure that we've really honed in on what's accurate. But when you have multiple people that multiple cooks in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. sometimes it does slow down dinner. So there become these pros and cons pieces of what is that balance to get back to your original question of balance of how quickly should change happen? Where should the information come from? Who gets to decide what's vetted and what is actually accurate? And so for the individual providers, I know for all of us, that's why we're constantly doing continuing education. That's why we're constantly seeing what programs are out there. That's why we're offering all these other pieces. But it's easier to move fast as an individual than it is as a larger entity when there are multiple people that have to sign off on things. If you could sell an agenda from your perspective, what would that sentence say? For mental and behavioral health? Yeah. So as you know, and for your listeners to know, I am a sleep specialist and sleep would actually be one of the first things that I would want to hit hard for every single person. My reasoning for that is in a few ways. you need to go somewhere else. (laughs) Matt, three hours a day. Okay, that's it. We're going to talk about that later. The reason that I, I start there is not just because it's an area that I have significant interest in, but we know that from the impact of sleep that it has, not just on your physical body and body restoration, but on memory, attention, focus, concentration, immune functioning, metabolism, your ability to respond to challenges. You take the day after daylight savings and there's a significant increase in cardiac episodes ending up at the emergency department and car accidents. And just from one day, one hour shift, slightly disrupting sleep. And we know that from people's just overall functioning, when you're sleeping, that's also when your brain is being cleaned of all of the toxins. So for people, for instance, with cognitive decline and dementia and such, we know that sleep can be protective with those pieces for general physical health and 
looking at predictions of obesity, diabetes, cardiac disease, all these other aspects. From a mental health standpoint, we also know how much sleep plays a role in anxiety and mood disorders and trauma and all these other aspects. But sleep is something that feels safer to many people. And what I mean by that is it's not as stigmatized. Most people will tell you that they're not sleeping well, they wish they could sleep well, and that it's something that's being even more and more recognized that impacts all different areas of life. So that would be one of the things that I personally would want to target because also when we're sleeping better, we see that we rely less on unhealthy coping strategies. So for instance, we're not having to have as many drinks to fall asleep because our sleep is in a better place and it doesn't build up a tolerance and lead to maybe relying on substances to help us to reduce our anxiety. What do you think about that? Taking a drink or two glasses of wine to help you sleep. What do you think about that? (laughs) No. No? I'll say it this way. I am not saying that nobody should ever, if you're, if you were over 21 and you're legally able to drink and your doctor says that it's healthy to drink, I'm not telling you that you should never have a drink. But the key is that when we start relying on other things, we're going to become dependent on it. So one, when you do have a few drinks, you may fall asleep, but alcohol actually reduces your ability to get REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, which is where we see that psychological repair, that memory consolidation, those pieces. It can throw off chemical systems in our body, for instance, GABA and glutamate. So you might fall asleep, but a few hours later, wake up wide awake, feeling more anxious. And so if you've ever had a cast on your arm, When you take it off, the muscles are weaker because they haven't been used. If you're constantly relying on a substance to fall asleep, it's harder for your body to be able to initiate sleep on its own if you all of a sudden take it away. Mm -hmm. So if we become reliant on something, then we constantly have to have it. And over time, if we have to have more and have to have more, that can be so taxing on our bodies and our systems in so many other ways as well. Does people dive this deep with you? You know, I get lots of different questions on it, and I think that it's an important conversation to have. There's mental health is an area that is, it's a black box for many people. Because again, Mm -hmm. we can't, it's one thing to be able to look and see, oh yeah, that bone is broken. It's not, unless you're a neurosurgeon, to be able to really look into the brain and to understand, we still haven't figured out specifically even where that full consciousness, who you are is, right? Mm -hmm. We know how the frontal cortex works and we know all the different parts of the brain and memory and emotion and pieces, it is such a complex thing. And because you can have two people that look exactly the same and they emotionally respond differently or they have different thoughts through it, you could hear a crash right now and I could say, okay, what went through your head? And Maz, you might sit here and say, oh my gosh, somebody's breaking in. And you might say, oh, the cat knocked something over again. Mm -hmm. And it was the same stimulus but you both interpreted that in a different way. How you interpreted it then affects what you feel. You're annoyed and go on about your day. He may be anxious because he thinks somebody's coming in. What do you do next? So how you think affects the emotion that you have. The emotion that you have affects how you act. And it's all based on that perception or interpretation of a fact. Mm -hmm. So there are so many of those pieces that are so different that we... That's what makes us unique, and that's what makes up people's personalities, but that also has an impact on how we interact with the world and each other. And so I think that that, because it's something that people don't fully understand, that ambiguity can also create fear in many people because they're not comfortable with things that they don't understand. Well, the correlation is, I just, you know, program, process, all these things, you know, my analogy of the food system, right? When I say being on the offensive, right? And being preventative, mm-hmm. you know, you, you really can't cure cancer, 
right, per se, but you can help prevent it, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, you talk about the food system. It's it, people, you know, if you can, you know, I, I eat superfoods every day. Mm-hmm. So, and I take certain things to get rid of things. Mm-hmm. It could cause problems later. Yep. Right. So I think if you said, all right, here's the food system, here's, here's the brain, here's this. And I, you know, if they could figure out a way to put some offense situations or systems in place, you know, instead of relying, wanting to keep your job or make this bottom line okay, number. I'm going to stop you there. So what I hear you saying is you think that anybody in mental health doesn't actually want to see people get better no, not, because no. they want to keep their job. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, you know, I think we've come to a No, I'm saying that. I think we've come to a time for those people that are, you know, holding some people back, right, from from being in the right position to really make a move. I think we're at that time where, hey, so who are you accusing of holding not, people back? It's not about it's not about accusing. I just think that I just think sometimes things are not really the initiative. I'll say this: I think things sometimes don't have the right initiative, right? And I think if more people communicated, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and got over their egos or whatever it is, or their 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 bottom line, or it could be anything. So I would agree with you that there needs to be much more of a focus on mental and behavioral health, on what can be done to prevent people from getting to the darkest places and being able to, maybe somebody does go through a very significant traumatic event. We know that there are research and there are protocols and there are treatments and there are things that somebody can go through in the early stages when it's acute to help them from and help prevent them every, maybe not the whole group, but maybe say it's 70 or 80% from it getting to a point where it's worse. Or for somebody that's in the early stages of stress and anxiety, what can we do to mitigate that so that it doesn't develop into a full-blown anxiety disorder? I guess the most important thing is, and I won't blame it on, you know, a bottom line or, or ego or whatever it is. You know, I just, I think that, you know, if you ever listen to Bruce Lee, right. Mm -hmm. You know, if we create a style, he always said, if you create a style, create, you know, that's basically a topic or a, a you know, an agenda, whatever it is, we crystallize growth, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's more about understanding more, yeah. right? We're not, we don't have to be stuck in 1952. Well, the thing is, there are you, a lot of people trying to get that message out there, but in the past, there weren't enough people listening or yeah. it was being ignored. And I think that that's one of the shifts that we're seeing with the pandemic is that people are now finally starting to listen. At least some are. There are more podcast episodes talking about it and recognizing, I say the phrase over and over and over again, self-care isn't selfish. And what I mean by that is that fact of some of the best things you can do. Yes, I talk about prioritizing sleep. If we even slightly prioritize recharging our bodies the way we do our phones and our technology, we'd be in a completely different headspace. If we actually took our lunch break or those opportunities to decompress and to do things that were pleasant activities and actually schedule them into our day. And it's all those times I literally, I do a well-being Wednesday post that, you know, I do a quick video blog, two, three minute tip every single week. Yesterday's I talked about the fact it's a quote by a graffiti artist from England that said, if you're tired, learn to rest, not to quit. Mm -hmm. And even that piece of recognizing the importance of resting 
for those moments, instead of just quitting and giving up or feeling that things are hopeless, there are so many different steps and stages and things we can do from a prevention standpoint of mindset, of skills, of strategies that don't require medications, that don't require huge changes. But it's a, there's so much research out there that shows that when you change the way you think about something, it literally changes the biology. It physically changes the neurons in our brain sending messages. They've done MRI studies where when you change the way you think, you change the neurobiology in the brain. So there are things that we can do from a preventative standpoint or for people that are in those acute stages to help it before it gets to the extreme levels. But one, yes, we have to have systems in place. Two, we have to have the resources. But three, we have to have people that are willing to listen and willing to get over the internal stigma for many people. It's, well, if I seek help or if I do these things, then that means that I'm weak, that I'm lazy, that something wrong with me. And we need to change that messaging, that seeking that help or making those changes. It's not selfish. It's not lazy. You know, we talk about when your body is so tired and you feel like you can't afford a time to rest, that's when you need to rest the most. And rest isn't just physical sleep. It could be giving your brain that break. It can be spending that quality time. We know that that social support piece, again, is one of the biggest things to reduce risk for mental and behavioral health problems is having that social support. Doesn't mean you have to be an instant extrovert, but even if it's a few trusted friends, isolation and loneliness are not going to put you on the right path towards being truly mentally and behaviorally healthy. Well, that leads to my last question. <laughs> the last question of the day. Yes. The last question of the day. I think, and I think it's been a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can push Pat, back. anytime I, you I, like. I, I, Quiz, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Because I think these aren't you, but you're yeah. representing a voice that so many people have, and yeah. those conversations have to be had. Yeah. Plant medicine. <laughs> Plant medicine. You know, there's two two sides of the coin. You're the you're the industrial side, the, the side we know. But I, I will say this. You are probably the one the most balanced narrative I've ever heard. Thank you. For both sides. Okay. I'll, I'll say that. So plant medicine, my buddy, Eric Neese been in Peru the past three months. You know, I think he's done a hundred ayahuasca ceremonies, mm-hmm. healed his whole body, mm-hmm. changed his whole mental makeup. What do you think about plant medicine? So I have to start with a caveat on that, that I am a PhD doctor versus an MD doctor. So I'm not a prescribing provider. So I'm not legally and ethically allowed to give advice on anything that would be medications and supplements in those pieces. So I can Mm -hmm. share anecdotally what I've seen, but I have to give that legal kind of disclaimer before I jump into that, if that is fair. That's fine. What I will say is this, is that I have seen some people that have utilized plant medicines and have made the argument that Plants are natural and they exist in the environment. It's not like they're taking chemicals and things that have been created and that that's a healthy option and alternative. And I've heard that argument from people saying they'd rather see it go in that direction than not. My overall comment would be that, and this is just from a psychology perspective, if there are things that are working for someone, but you want to be cautious of what you become dependent on for any natural system. So just like we talked about, for instance, if you have to take a chemical for your body to be able to sleep, for instance, what happens if you wouldn't be able to rely on that? And it's a system that your body can. So I think that from that balanced perspective, we have to be cautious of, are we, for instance, taking certain, whether it's plant-based or other medicines and chemicals, and again, I'm not 
advocating for or against in that sense, because some people truly do need medications as well. But does it become a Band-Aid or something that we're using to cover up doing a bit of the hard work that may need to actually get at the root cause to prevent the need from having to be reliant on it as well? So I think the first step is really figuring out what is driving it. Is that something that's going to be helpful and useful? And then doing the research for yourself of what have you found that's, what have other people found has been useful for people that have certain medical conditions. It's important to make sure that some of these even plant-based medicines can interact with other medications that they're on. So I think it's being, doing your due diligence and being an informed consumer, but also recognizing, are you using it as a crutch or is it something that actually is going to have that benefit? Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Why I want to have that check in there first? Yeah. Oh, I will say this. I will say that the, the, there's been, to me, I, I've seen more benefit in plant medicine without the addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's I tons mean, of research that is yeah. out there right now. For instance, we recently were doing a medical cannabis conference where they were looking at nationally funded research, looking at its impacts for epilepsy and seizures, for instance, and how it was a more of a, a natural derived medication, plant-based medicine that was having a significant impact on that. So I think there's a lot of research out there that shows that it can be incredibly effective. And I think that's, that's what I mean by looking to see how that's been shown, but then also being cautious that where are you getting your information and what's the purpose that you're using it for? Are you taking something because you want to numb out because you're trying to avoid the anxiety and you're never dealing with the root cause of what was driving it? That, that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm gotcha. talking about. Gotcha. If that clarification. All right. Well, I know you got to head out of here. Unfortunately, <laughs> you only give me a few minutes at a, at, a, at a time, you know, every other, every two months. I'm more than willing to come back and chat anytime you <laughs> yeah, want. We should, we should try to do this maybe once a month. I'd love to. We could have a different agenda. And if people I think have it, questions, I'd be more than willing to talk about certain topics if you have your listeners that have questions yeah i mean we're yeah and maybe you could come host a show you know if you ever wanted to have a guest on or someone when you wanted to interview maybe we could set that up for you that sounds great okay cool all right this has been your unimpressed podcast this is clinical psychologist melissa Milanic. <laughs> thanks so much for having me all right i'm john edmonds cosma the ceo of bang productions Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.